1: Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument with words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolfe and Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. so glad you tuned into Radical Philosophy. I'm your host Beth Matthews. Today on the program I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Tracy Leonara about alt-right misogyny and feminism. I'm so happy to have you back on the program Tracy. Now you've been doing quite a bit of study since the last time we spoke about nihilism haven't you?
2: Yes, I have. Um, since then, I've published two books on nihilism, written on other topics in philosophy, and moved around for academic work. Um, Beth, as you know, I'm so grateful for having done that radio ph- um, radical philosophy interview on the radio with you because it helped me jumpstart my career fresh out of my PhD in 2016. You've been doing such incredible work in promoting um, the writings of women philosophers and I've been a recipient of that generosity. And definitely the media professionals award from the AAP that you received is truly well-deserved.
1: Oh, thank you so much for your kind words. Wonderful to have you on the program. And, you know, it's it's nice to know that, that I'm making a difference. So, um, Now, what was it that inspired you to study alt-right misogyny and feminism?
2: Great. Um, So before I wrote this project on alt-right misogyny and feminism, I published an article about cases of apostasy in extremist groups. So I'm talking about people like Derek Black and Megan Phelps Roper, who were raised by members of the Ku Klux Klan in the Westboro Baptist Church. Derek and Megan did not only leave their hate groups, But they also adopted views that were anti-racist and anti-fundamentalist. In short, they went for the complete opposite of their initial extremist worldviews. Their cases could be understood as radical cases of conversion, and it was interesting to analyze their exit from extremism from a philosophical perspective. And because of that work, I was asked by the editors of the Routledge Handbook for Feminist Bioethics to contribute an essay on the alt-right. So here's a shout-out to Professor Wendy Rogers and Professor Stacey Carter, two amazing feminist philosophers in Australia, for this invitation. And initially... I was trying to understand why women would join the alt-right in the first place. It just didn't make sense to me. Because the alt-right isn't just racist, it's also deeply misogynistic. It thinks that the primary purpose of white women is to bear white children. And women choosing what they want to do with their bodies or loving who they want to love gets in the way of that goal. So the fact that women joined the alt-right on the surface just appeared to me as irrational. Why would women champion an ideology that is inherently designed to undermine and oppress them? So that question is interesting in itself. And there are so many reasons why women embrace racist and anti-feminist ideology. Some interesting books include Andrea Dworkin's Right-Wing Women, published in 1983, and recent essays by Eli Portela-Parreras and Philippa Melo-Lopez. But then I started noticing particularly pernicious, outright women propagandists. So I'm talking about women like Lana Loktev, host of the White Fundamentalist podcast, Radio 314. Alia Stewart, an American religious blogger who became infamous for the White Baby Challenge. Um, Basically, this called on white women to match or beat the number of her children because she's had six and then there's lauren southern a youtube celebrity and canadian white nationalist who rose to fame for promoting the great replacement a conspiracy theory that asserts that western nations are being replaced by non-european peoples and she's now working here in australia as a conservative commentator for sky news so loctef stewart and southern weren't only part of the alt-right because they represented racist views, they were actively producing anti-feminist propaganda, packaging misogynist norms as attractive to recruit young women in the alt-right, and they were also making a lot of money from what they were doing and also from harming other people. So they are very special cases. They're out there to make things worse for women. But at the same time, they were also being abused for being women. They were getting threatened with rape and violence by their own members and from anti-racists and by anti-racists. And they were being told to stop working, to stay at home and make babies instead. So these are the kinds of abuses that feminists have been fighting against. And what we have here is a group of anti-feminist women who are being punished for being too successful in championing misogyny. And I thought that case was just interesting, strange, paradoxical, and socially relevant, which is why I started working on this idea.
1: Yeah, well, it sounds pretty bizarre. So, what is the alt-right's agenda?
2: So, um, I suppose it's Good to begin by talking about what the alt-right is first. So the alt-right movement is a spectrum of extremist groups espousing a dangerous mix of racism, nationalism, and far-right populism. It frames the white race as threatened by non-white immigration, identity politics, and the global left. Its members are mostly white men recruited on Reddit and Twitter and forums such as 4chan and 8chan's politically incorrect discussion boards. And examples of groups include the Proud Boys, Turning Point USA, the Traditionalist Worker Party, and um, the United Patriotic Front. Um, In relation to women, the alt-right thinks that the reproductive freedom of women contributes to the demise of western civilization. So the purpose of white women for them is to guarantee the continuation of the white race in predominantly white and affluent modern societies. Mixed-race partnership, partnerships, the sexual freedom of white women, the fear that non-whites are procreating at a far higher rate. Than whites are all being framed by the alt-right as pressing global issues it's also very apocalyptic in its thinking and that's why it's also apocalyptic in its responses last year alone right-wing groups were responsible for over 67% of domestic terrorist attacks in the United States and basically the agenda of the alt-right is to carve out this fantasy of creating a utopian world where the white identity is king
1: So is the alt-right different from other racist groups?
2: That's a great question. So they share the same agenda as as these older racist groups in the sense that they're also promoting white supremacy. But in contrast to the hostile and estranging image of groups like the Ku Klux Klan, the Aryan Nations, and the American Renaissance, The alt-right is more technologically savvy, and one of their objectives is to turn racism mainstream and palatable to what they think is an already politely racist audience. So they just have to activate that mainstream racism. So the rise of Donald Trump, for instance, is widely taken as popular victory for the movement so the alt-right then could be understood as an updated version of older racist groups more sneaky more technologically adept and much more insidious in its recruitment so here's an example the extremist researcher ashley matthias argues that the alt-right often uses anti-feminist rhetoric to attract members framing the approach in terms of an unmet obligation from women Something like, she says, you were owed something or your life should have been like this, but because of the ridiculous things feminists are doing, you can't access them. End of quote. Once misogynistic views become a regular part of online conversations, recruiters then introduce targets to other areas of their ideology. So they start talking about the rights, privileges, and traditions tied to whiteness that are now being threatened by immigrants of color, liberals, Jews, Muslims, Black Lives Matter supporters, or the Antifa. So, what this suggests is that the alt right has a specific view of what white women ought to be, and that we've lost touch of that because of many different reasons. And that view is, of course, related to the traditional image of womanhood upheld by white supremacy.
1: All right, so could you explain about white supremacist ideas of womanhood?
2: Sure. So, in my work, I follow the writings of the American sociologist Kathleen Blee. And in her work, she talks about two major ideals the goddess victim ideal and the wife mother ideal. The goddess victim ideal captures how women are considered as prey and men as glorified actors in racist groups. White women are depicted as desirable victims and in need of protection from the white male hero. So Blee says, you have neo-Nazi and clan groups issuing mountains of cartoons, flyers, lyrics, and articles that portray African-American men as rapists and victimizers of young white women, Nordic-looking goddesses as the archetypes of white womanhood. And in this narrative, white men are the only ones who can act and destroy the imagined threat. White women, epitomizing beauty and purity and gentleness, are considered defenseless. The wife-mother ideal is a very familiar one to us. It is part of the patriarchal story in which men are the providers and heads of the family who have lives and identities independent from the family. Women, meanwhile, are the carers and nurturers at their best in the domestic sphere and when they are shielded from the worries of the outside world. In the racist patriarchy, women are expected to devote all their energies to raising good white children, considered as the most vulnerable members in the future of the white race. And this is the kind of image that emboldened conservative women led by Phyllis Schlafly to rally against the second wave feminists and defeat the Equal Rights Amendment in the 1970s. And interestingly, the alt-right mirrors this pattern. Lana Loctef, Alia Stewart, and Lauren Southern offer curated versions of the wife, mother, and goddess victim ideals suited to the alt-right taste. And these images, as I state in my work, take the form of the white power Barbie and the trad wife.
1: So that brings me to my next question. Could you explain what is meant by the term white power Barbie?
2: Of course, it's a, it's a very catchy term. Um, the white power Barbies are women like Lockdip and Southern. So they recognize that their influence and appeal are rooted in their sexual desirability to white men. And these white men think that they can have women like them if the alt-right wins. They also set an aspirational image for white women who want to look and be desired like them and want white men to serve as their protectors and providers. So, for example, in her podcasts, Lochtef fetishizes the figure of the Viking shield maiden as a symbol of feminine strength and fragility. Ashley Mathias claims that Lochtef frames this, this, frames this image this way. Women are the life-givers of the euro-white future, and that men's ultimate romantic gesture to white women is the building in the defense of the Western civilization. Southern, on the other hand, would package her YouTube videos, which is which are watched by millions of young viewers, as makeup tutorials, and then she launches into an anti-Islam tirade. And while Loctip and Southern are standouts, they're not unique in capitalizing on the white power Barbie image. Another example is Tommy Lauren, the American right-wing political commentator. Who also enjoys broad outright support.
1: So, um, what is meant by the term "trad" or traditional wife?
2: So, the term traditional wife is the contemporary version of the wife mother ideal. It stands for the outright countercultural version of what women are supposed to be in terms of motherhood and in terms of um, their responsibility to the family. So in her recent book, Sisters in Hate, Seward Darby narrates that tradwives who are mostly wife, and I quote, embrace a dream of comfort, contentment, and affluence specific to lived white experiences. Tradwives and white nationalists share core objectives. More babies, myths, America's moral decline, and iconography happy heterosexual families Twitter and YouTube of course are littered with women like Stewart, who wear retro swing skirts and floral aprons um, and you know they're, they're cooking their recipes and like baking cakes and then they start attacking the feminist movement um, in the middle of baking which they say is responsible for corrupting the natural appeal of being a stay-at-home wife and soiling the dignity of the traditional way of life or trad life they link feminism to the deterioration of the Western civilization, the core of which is the white nuclear family, making tradwives natural allies and easy converts into the alt right.
1: How are women like Lock, Tough, and Stewart treated by the alternate right?
2: Yeah, this is this is actually where the story gets complicated. Because all white power barbies and tradwives are simultaneously perpetrators and targets of misogyny. While guilty of mongering and profiting from hate, they're also being punished for being too successful in this effort. So one way of thinking about the issue is through the idea of submission, as articulated by Simone de Beauvoir and Manon Garcia. And also through the idea of misogyny, as articulated by Kate Mann. Manon Garcia's We Are Not Born Submissive, which has been recently translated from French, subverts our contemporary understanding of gender by exploring the idea of submission. When women submit to patriarchal standards, they don't do it passively. They do a lot of things that exhibit agency and even promote their own subordination. And as Beauvoir puts it, a woman can derive, and I quote, satisfaction from her role as the other, end of quote. So when mothers tell their daughters to tolerate their husband's infidelity or to give up their careers for their husbands, they are supporting anti-feminist views. But they consent to this because this kind of life is the version that wouldn't be abused or punished so much in a sexist society. So here the story is sacrifice is inevitably a woman's destiny. And this is what trad wives represent kate Mann's down girl defines misogyny as the hostility that women experience in patriarchal social arrangements women experience misogyny when they fail to give what she calls feminine coded goods so examples of that are attention affection admiration sympathy sex and children man also argues that women experience retaliation when they receive masculine coded goods goods such as power prestige, public recognition, rank, reputation, honor, face, respect, money, and other forms of wealth, like hierarchical status or upward mobility. And the fact that white power Barbies in particular are able to enjoy wealth, fame, and power in virtue of them being women makes a lot of white supremacist men very uneasy. So alt-right women, in short, I argue, Play a curious and ambivalent role. As white, they are members of the outright in group, indispensable to the overall success of the racial patriarchy. As women, they are, in Beauvoir's terms, other. Their value lies in their capacity to breed white offspring. All of their other human freedoms and possibilities to have a political life, to pursue their careers, to be educated, to be a philosopher or a radio show host, for instance. They're all superfluous in the racist patriarchy. They are non-essential to the conception of a good life for a white woman or for any woman. And the hybrid status of white women May help explore how feminism may participate in dismantling this racist ideology. Failure to stick with the patriarchal script and the appropriation of what man calls masculine coded goods like rank, power, and prestige and money can bring about acts of misogyny as punishment. That's why these women get rape threats on a daily basis and get criticized for aspiring to become famous. So for example, Loktev co-owns and manages the far-right multimedia company, Red Eyes, which makes her a very successful businesswoman. In her mid-30s, she was constantly being attacked by her own members for prioritizing her career and for failing to produce white children. Now she has had two kids. Southern even admitted to financially supporting her ex-partner George Hutchison, who is also a white nationalist. In an interview when she was 22 years old, her boyfriend interjected and reminded her on camera that she needs to serve her country and bear white children. So alt-right women, therefore, are perpetrators and victims of misogyny. I think it's perfectly okay to hate them. But it's important to see that it's also misogyny that gets them to leave.
1: Yeah, how does this misogynistic abuse impact on the women of the alt right?
2: So what makes the alt right susceptible to feminist intervention? as I argue in my work, is that it is strongly reliant on the invisible and the invisible economic labor of alt-right women. So compared to previous iterations of white supremacy, where white women were supported by their husbands and they worked for free in the 60s and 70s, alt-right women need to generate income to fuel the movement. In short, the alt-right needs money to keep running. So a growing pattern in the alt-right is that the women earn the money While the men sit down and generate and distribute harmful propaganda, as a reformed Identity Europa member stated, and I quote, like 70% of the time, the women earn the money and the men are only doing the podcasts and they do podcasts about how women shouldn't have jobs, end of quote. So, in short, the conditions of possibility for the alt-right's rapid rise and its ability to recruit people in its ranks are dependent on the labor and the freedom of the white women that the culture seeks to eliminate. So, Loctef, Southern, and Stewart are not supposed to exist at all in the future patriarchal alt-right dystopia that they're pandering. Women members of the alt-right, and this is how they're responding, they're now starting to pick up on this absurdity and have been leaving the alt-right. And even when women don't completely break ties with the alt-right, they disassociate from political work. And this can have negative consequences if you're a good recruiter. So for instance, Southern withdrew in 2019 after being constantly sexually harassed, both from within the alt-right and outside the alt-right. So while she remains a public figure here in Australia, she is not as active and has even expressed mild remorse for the harm she's caused against women and against other people.
1: Yeah, it's a real contradiction, isn't it? They, these it women is. are saying, Don't, you know, you shouldn't have a job, but, but I've got one. <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain about the exit cases of women from um, these extreme groups?
2: Of course, it's act- these cases were actually some of the cases that inspired me to lead the world towards this direction. Because the idea that women can participate in challenging hate and challenging extremism isn't new. It's often because women are treated poorly or are being abused by group members they start finding cracks in their ideology. So one example is Megan Phelps Roper. Um, She says in her autobiography that her exit from the Westboro Baptist Church was influenced by the resentment directed at her mother and herself by other male members of the group. When her grandfather, Fred Phelps, grew unable to fulfill his role as their leader, Sharon Phelps Roper stepped up a change accompanied by Megan's popularity as the church's representative of social media. Men in the group intervened with reminders about women's rightful place in religion. They're only second to them, who are the church's natural and destined leaders. Because of this, and for many other reasons, Megan left the group in 2012. Also, women have helped dismantle organized crime syndicates like the Italian Mafia, which, like the extremist, alt groups have been responsible for a culture of violence. This is super interesting. Six members of the Calabrian Ndrangheta na- are serving life sentences in jail for the murder of Leia Garofalo, who is the ex-partner of Carlo Cosco and also one of her killers. She broke off with the mafia and cooperated with the police under witness protection. And it was their daughter, Denise, who testified against her own father in court which led to his conviction and since then italian prosecutor prosecutor alessandro cerruti has been successful in convincing women to testify against their own family members and share evidence of crime with the view that women led deeply unhappy lives in the social organization of the mafia and i quote each family was a miniature fiefdom in which women were little more than vassals of family honor Fathers married their daughters off as teenagers to seal clan alliances. Women who did not uphold exacting codes of respect were beaten, often in the street. Wives who were unfaithful, even to the memory of a husband dead for 15 years, were killed, typically by their closest male relatives, and their bodies were often burned or dissolved in acid to make sure of erasing the family shame. End of quote. So in short, women empowerment has been considered as a way of preventing religious radicalization and countering terrorist and violent activities. And what the alt-right cases also teach us is that the idea that in hyper-masculine extremist groups, we must take a gendered approach. It is critical and central to the process of dismantling their racist ideology.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, do you have any future study plans within this field?
2: Um, So I have um, a book chapter version of this, which is appearing in the Feminist Bioethics Handbook. I hope to turn this into a journal article which really outlines the philosophical arguments behind this idea. And hopefully by next year, I'd also like to write something about um, fanaticism in women. Women fanatics. It just sounds so extreme and so radical, which fits the topic of your radio show, Beth.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does. So, where can people um, can people read this online? Your article?
2: Um, not yet, but once it becomes available, I should be I should post it on my I will post it on my personal website, which is tracyleonera
1: okay great oh well that's something to look forward to well thanks very much for coming back onto the program today
2: thank you so much it's 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 wonderful to speak to you again after five years
1: (laughs) and i've been speaking with dr tracy leonera about alt-right misogyny and feminism well hope you've enjoyed the program and do stay tuned for swing and sway
0: (laughs) Oh